Hello and welcome to the latest Coleman Had a Dream podcast. This is episode five, so thank you very much for everyone who's listened so far. Um, we've got a wide-ranging conversation going on today, as well as our interview, which you can hear at the end of this, uh, with Josh Frankham, who's a Wales youth player. Um, we're also going to be chatting about the Sea International that's got recently announced, how we think Wales are going to fare in the Nations League, and a bit of a chat about our recent blog, based on Wales Defenders. Um, I'm here with Ruth. Evening. So, let's start with a bit of local news. We are recording this on the evening that the FA Cup replays are being played. Swansea have just beaten Notts County 8-1. Fairly emphatic. Yeah, I reckon reckon that'll probably sneak them through. Um, Newport will play Spurs tomorrow and will play Rochdale. Uh, the winner of that game at Spotland, which will be uh, which will be good. Obviously, Cardiff got knocked out by Man City, but beat Leeds on the weekend to keep themselves in uh, in the promotion hunt. And Wrexham, oh, top in the league, exactly <laughs> unbelievable. No, I think it's. I mean, all in all, it's been an excellent week or two, hasn't it? I, I think. So. I think the most striking of that is just how the Swans have picked up lately. Just they've, you know, you think about where they were even just two or three weeks ago versus what's happening now. I mean, that's just. Uh, but then, of course, one step forward, two back. The injuries at the at the weekend, yeah. and that's really going to knock them back. Although perhaps not evidenced this evening. No, um, I think uh, as a Newcastle fan, I'm obviously absolutely devastated by by the Swans' turn of uh, of fortunes. But unbelievable to to beat Liverpool and Arsenal at home. Obviously, a huge win tonight, eight one. Um, I don't know what Carlos Carvajal is is on, but I'm like, he's unbelievable. There's, Some of the things he says, they're yeah. like, I want to go and play for him. His, his quotes are great. The one about last night's about Swans uh, rising again. Some fall, some rise again. Um, no, I think he's, he's obviously somehow he's he's touching the right nerve there, yeah, isn't he? He's, really is. he's getting them playing, and um, they seem to be playing like the the, the old idea of playing like Swansea yeah. do um, got them back back being themselves basically Cardiff seems to have refound themselves over the last yeah I watched the Leeds game yeah. on the weekend played very well Cardiff overpowered Leeds mm-hmm. really but Cardiff looked good efficient they've got a bit of depth brought into new players mm-hmm. in the in the January window so that will definitely help them as for Wrexham a big win on the weekend again was it Geisley or Guisley Geisley <laughs> Geisley oh, sorry sorry <laughs> sorry Geisley fans if you're listening at least um, I hope I've got that right. <laughs> yeah, again, great win for them. Yeah, they, they seem to have found a little bit of scoring. They, they were doing well at the start of the, the season by locking up shop at the back, basically. But that's that's the emphasis has changed a little bit, and they're pushing forward a, a bit more now. But I think it's just great to see the you know the passion of, of fans. You think the number that they took yeah, to that. the Tranmere game, the number that they took away at the weekend, as you were saying. Um, and I think I think one of the things that we're really noticing about, particularly Wrexham and Newport, is just that engagement with the crowd. Yeah. And you think about what happened in the Newport Spurs game, and just yeah, what a how, what a difference that atmosphere made. And and I think also what an impression the 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 place and the team and the stadium and the fans made on the Spurs um, visitors as yeah. well. And I thought, to be honest, on the balance of it, Newport were actually unlucky not to win. I would agree with that, but I think. If, you, if we look at it sort of sensibly, I think that having the extra fixture at 
at Wembley is such a boom for them. That I, I, I hate that. No, but I think you've got a... What a damning indictment of football at no, the minute. But I think, I'd rather not beat Spurs no, in the cup just think, to get a few quid. I'm not saying that. I still want them to win at Wembley, don't get me wrong. But I think, I think you have to be a little pragmatic and say, OK, this is, we can get something out of this longer term yeah. I mean, and, bring a, and bring a stability and I know Flynn's talked about um, you know training facilities and that sort of thing and there's you know you've got to you've got to have some sort of bedrock to build from and I you know don't get me wrong I love the romance of the the cup and you know there's you look back at some of those like one of the most striking things from when I was watching uh Wrexham in my, my younger days was that win against Arsenal for example yeah. and, you know you do remember those cup runs uh, but I think also particularly when you consider what a mess Newport have been in if they can get a little bit of financial yeah. real financial stability out of it this that's going to be huge in the long run for them don't get me wrong I, I totally agree I think as a as an outcome it's definitely the most as you say pragmatic outcome just I think it would have been better if they'd won <laughs> which is a fairly obvious statement to make um well let's hope they prove us wrong tomorrow we're, we're talking as ooh, we're talking absolutely. as though the, the result was known weren't we uh the other thing that we wanted to talk about was the announcement of the wales sea international which owen tudor jones has been uh, announced as being part of the coaching staff and involved in uh, manager is going to be mark jones formerly of my stag the english sea international team have been going for a while and were recently got to semi-finals of an of a international tournament which is fantastic it seems like a lot of the players are going to be taken from non-league yeah and our players are coming from Welsh Premiership so I think that's uh, there's an interesting one of the things I was interested in, in was what happened to English guys playing in our Premiership and Welsh guys playing in the English non-league because it's clearly going to be an overlap I mean I don't not bothered if all our players come from the Premiership and I can see um, some merit in doing that just to aid any arguments with UEFA just kind of make a bit more of a statement that we are operating independently as a as a national league progressing uh, progressing football, that yeah. yeah and just so that whenever that debate of us being an independent team comes up we've just got a little bit more evidence behind us but I was interested reading about the tournaments and competitions that the English side seem to have been in for quite a while so I yeah. think if we can sort of knows our way into those sorts of things as well. That gives the Premiership, again, a bit more status, doesn't it? And it'd be interesting to see how we fare against a side mm -hmm. like that, who are obviously fairly established yeah. in what they do. Um, we have often talked about Wales uh, matches being held often in South Wales. Yeah. I, I don't know whether it was a date clash or something else. This struck me, however, as a perfect opportunity to do yeah. something in North Wales. And presumably all and the arguments about the race course would have been off the ground. I mean, if, if Barry is good enough to hold, yeah. to hold this game, then clearly Bangor or, or Wrexham would have been perhaps even real. Um, but, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's just a, a feature of trying to get it off the ground. They, you yeah, know, they want to try and keep it contained. The, you know, all the support structure from FAW is right there. So perhaps for the first one, the intention was just to keep it local yeah. to where folks are. But I think going forward, if something comes of it, it would be great. You look at the crowds that they've been getting up north for the under-21 games and things like that. There's clearly a, a market for it. Oh, there's our fire engine right on cue. Um, <laughs> for anyone who listens regularly, <laughs> the fire engine seems to go past every time we do this. Um, yeah, so I think there's, clear, there's clearly uh, people interested in, in North Wales and in go, in going to any sort of representative games. So perhaps in the future. Since we have last recorded, we have also 
being drawn in the Nations League against Denmark and Ireland. After saying in our last podcast that the last team I wanted to be drawn against was Ireland, yep. it was obviously nailed on that that was going to happen. That was actually our worst case scenario, wasn't it? Pretty Den- much. Denmark from the, the bottom of the, the tier and, and Ireland from the middle, that was actually our worst case scenario. So, of course, there it's we are. Happened. Um, to be honest, I'm intrigued to see how we face these two teams because the Ireland game, I don't think, with the benefit of hindsight, Chris Coleman managed particularly well. Some, Obviously, some of it was out of his hands with the injury to Ireland. So it'd be interesting to see if Giggs does take a, a totally different tactical approach to it. Um, I think Ireland might take a different approach to it as well. Um, whether they come out a bit more offensively minded because it's the first game of, of the, a limited number of four. Yeah. You know, you can't you can't really afford to sit back, can you? Because a, a couple of draws and you're going to be in a mess in in that particular format. The Denmark one is the one I'm excited about. I think that'll be a fantastic game of four. But I know they've got some excellent players. Obviously, Christian Eriksen being the focal point of most things that happen with them, and they've got Jorgensen uh, up front, who I found out because Newcastle failed to buy him in January, um, who looks good, strong player, good at holding up the ball. He's the top scorer in the Eredivisie last season so he's obviously got a lot about him so there's, they have some attacking mm-hmm. threat you know the Ireland will obviously be more than aware yeah. of after they beat them 5-1 yeah. I think they've, they're clearly a team on the rise aren't they the Danes Absolutely. and I think particularly their sort of play on the break a combination of play on the break and their set pieces they're just good ball controlling footballers you know nice football to watch as well I mean Ericsson epitomises that um, so I think I think We've got a tough situation there. I mean, you could imagine us ending up third in that group. Hope not, but you could see it happening. I think it just depends who plays. Mm-hmm. I think whilst Denmark are obviously capable of of putting on a display, there's nothing saying that Gareth Bale isn't. And there's oh, no. nothing that, that's saying uh, Aaron Ramsey, who scored a hat-trick on the weekend, isn't yeah. capable of doing something as well. So I do think whilst we are rightly wary of Denmark equally I think Denmark will be thinking bloody hell I didn't fancy Wales no, in that group I would, I would agree with that um, I just want to beat Ireland <laughs> to be honest I almost don't care about Denmark I'm, everyone will have a great time in Copenhagen drinking their expensive beer um, I just want to beat I just want to beat James McLean okay. with a stick <laughs> preferably you just recorded that you realise I'm not sure that James McLean is an avid listener uh, to the Coleman Had a Dream podcast there was a there's a nuance of the way the setup is organised with the three teams that I wanted to just kind of put on the table and see if you had some thoughts about so obviously there's four games across three international windows so like six potential dates and you play four, four games, of them yeah. so on any of those international breaks one of the team plays twice we've got our double header in the first weekend part of me thinks let, let's, let's hit the ground running part of me thinks are we going to suffer that, suffer that kind of post-summer not quite match fit hangover that can sometimes happen with September dates so that was just something to put out there the other thing is that the Republic of Ireland have got their double header as the middle of the three but their doubleheader is two home games. Both us and the Danes have a home and an away. So the Irish have got a back-to-back 
home pair, so no travelling when they've got the That's two games. So is that an advantage to them? I, th- I think the first one in September is the same problem for us as it is for them. Okay. For the same, I, don't, I don't know if it's a huge issue. And to be honest, if you're a professional footballer and you're you know, three weeks into the season, if you're not match fit, then... Mm-hmm. In the words of Brian Clough, you deserve bloody shooting. <laughs> um, I wasn't aware of the double head of being mm-hmm. at home for Ireland. I think that is an advantage. Yeah. It, given there's only four games, yes. um, I think that's a definite advantage. <laughs> Equally, I, I do think it's an advantage that we have a double header straight away. Okay. Why do you think that's an advantage? Because I think you just you just there's no two ways about it. You've got to hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. You win two games, win the first two games. And I'm not saying with you know we're, no. we're going to win the group, but bloody hell, it goes a long way. You mm-hmm. can win two games, you can manage the last two and draw them, and you're going to win the group. Mm-hmm. The other thing is our last game is on the fifth of the six potential days, and then the Republic and Den- Denmark play on the oh, sixth. I love that you've done this. <laughs> they play on the sixth date. Okay, so we've finished our games and they've still got one to go. You know, could they play out a draw that might suit both of them? Surely there isn't a circumstance which would suit both of them. Let's say Ireland aren't going to win the group, but Denmark could. Right. And let's say a draw is enough for Denmark to win, and a draw is enough to make sure Ireland finish in front of us. I suppose if it comes down to it, who's going to make the playoffs in the long run after the mm-hmm. qualifiers, then I suppose you'd obviously rather be second than third mm-hmm. in that group. Because so I suppose, Cause I mean, if I you're suppose third, so. you're dropping down a tier. If you're third, you're dropping down to the C group. Again, hadn't thought of that. I don't know why, but I'm annoyed at Ireland already. I, I feel like this has happened now. Um, bastards. Uh, do you know I think that's a good point. I think it's a bizarre. You can, there's no, there's format. no, there's no way round it. I there's suppose. no way round it when there's only three teams. Someone is sitting out the last game when there's only three teams. Equally, I suppose you could look at it as we would go into that third. Uh, our final fourth game, sorry, in a position that we play when no one else does, someone sit at home, safe in the knowledge that if we win or draw this, it doesn't matter what happens in the last game. So I suppose you could argue that that gives us an advantage that's, in a way. That's the position you'd want to be in. You'd want, to, yeah. you'd want the group to be sorted out once we've finished our games and what yeah. happens in that final, final game doesn't matter. Or the fact that Ireland's games are at home. I think Ireland's two double-headers being at home, I think, mm. is an advantage. I think... Yeah. Not having Everything to travel between, not really. having to travel between those two games, I think, is an advantage. I agree. What about the wider? What about, what are your wider thoughts about the? I was going to say League of Nations. I was doing so well. Yeah, what, are you, <laughs> what are your wider thoughts? I think the whole premise of a lower-ranked team getting to a, the <laughs> final sort of a tournament, I think, is a brilliant idea, and it serves a real purpose for. Teams like Wales were, let's be honest, yeah. you know, six or so years ago, we would have been down there with that. And I think if someone had dangled this carrot oh, in front oh, of us, yeah. I think, Christ, it makes everything much more mm-hmm. important and winnable. And and I think you'll probably get to see some lower-ranked teams. I keep wanting to say lesser teams and then stop <laughs> myself. Some lower-ranked teams who actually have some bloody good players. And yeah. furthermore, they may be looking at this thinking, this is my, my chance. This is my ticket to the big yeah. time. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of positives to it.
So now we've solved how the Nations League is going to work. Maybe. Um, I'll be intrigued to know who is going to be on the bench in that game. Obviously, Ryan Giggs will be there. <laughs> but at the moment, we don't really know who else. No, and I think it's getting a bit concerning, isn't it? We seem the, Suddenly the China Cup games are creeping up on us and we don't seem to have a backroom staff established. Um, it, I find it all a bit surprising because, I mean, I understand that when you're applying for a job and, you, you know, part of that process is having your team in mind and I can understand you're not going to walk up to someone and say, you know, when, if I get this job, would you be my number two? Would you be part of the team? But... I do find it strange that it feels like part of the interview process wouldn't be. And how do you envisage your team developing, yeah. Ryan? Who would you, you know, who do you think would be a good addition and, you know, add to the FAW way of doing things and all that? You know, you feel like that conversation would and should have been part of the interview process. So why it's quite taking this long to move forward? It just seems really strange. What seems... but We've talked about the interview process before, so I don't want to go down that road no. again particularly, but it does stink to me a little bit of... We wanted Ryan Giggs to have the job. It almost didn't matter what he said. Off you go, son. Yeah. Enjoy yourself. Because I would expect him to at least have known who his number two is. Yeah. If I was going to go into a job and someone said you need an assistant, yeah. I would know who that person is going to be instantly yeah. and I would probably have three options available and I would have said to them, at least my number two. Mm. I understand if you don't want to know your backroom staff, you know, ins and outs, like you say, you've got to approach people, things got to be done, I get that. But I, you, surely they would have said in the interview mm-hmm. who, the, who his number two is. There's talk of skulls, I'd be furious if that came about. We understand that he's approached Arteta but Guardiola said no. I mean, exciting coach yeah. uh, obviously knows the Welsh setup. Oshan Roberts mentioned in, his, mentioned in his recent podcast that he had come through yeah. uh, the Welsh system but that's it mm-hmm. it's gone cold yeah. still no mention of Oshan nope. uh, in the setup. and I mean uh, uh, the first game in China is the 22nd of March I think yep. Yep. give or take we're about six weeks away this just leads to so many questions if he doesn't know who his backroom staff are going to be does he know what his plan is to set up the team? That's does he the bit does, does he know who he wants to take to China? What sort of squad he wants to take there? That's the bit that concerns me because it it one oh I don't want to rehash this, but one of the things that concerned me about gigs was if this job was something he was aiming for, there are things you do along the way. There are steps you take that you know you get involved with more than McDonald's. You're you know you're following. <laughs> Your volunteer coaching, your making a presence felt to make a statement of intent, effectively. And and one of the reasons I wasn't happy with this appointment is I didn't feel there was that statement of intent. And this is just another manifestation of that. This false start in terms of the backroom stuff is just another manifestation of just not having a plan. And that has and will be what's always concerned me about his appointment. I could not agree more. Um, I'm excited about China. I'm also a little bit worried if we go there and it ends up being a like an interim coaching team. Because if I was a player in that, I'd be thinking, what the hell is going on here? I've travelled all the way to bloody China and no one really seems to know what's going on. I hope this is not a sign of things to come. We've been quite positive about gigs up until now, but 
I'm, I'm, there's a chance that it's not his fault. No, there is. There's a chance that the the FAW won't sanction the money that other people want. Yeah, and, and as we said, be some, some people are saying no. Guardiola's said no. I'm not sure I just would have gone for Arteta though. Anyway, um, just to be a, if he was just a coach, mm-hmm. in inverted commas, just a coach, I think that'd be fine. If he's his number two, he's got to have some experience with him. He's got to have, um, maybe not necessarily Oshan. But he's got to have someone with some level of coaching experience. You know, I'm not suggesting he has Ian Bloody Dowie in, but like, you want someone there who knows their way around international football at least, yeah. and at least has got solid experience as being a, a club manager. I don't know. Moving on. Moving on. Um, to other arguments. <laughs> uh, I wrote a blog about Paul Dummett recently. And it was based upon the idea that Ashley Williams, in my opinion, is soon to be past it. And I'm not sure, given he's not playing regularly every week for Everton, that I don't think he's going to be playing forever. And I think we need to start a succession plan. My succession plan involved Paul Dummett. The reason I said Paul Dummett was because he can play centre-half, he can play left-back, he can play left-wing-back. He's young, he's quick, good, good on the ball good in the air, decent positional sense, and compared to our other options, which you have, I can see, a solid list of here, <laughs> uh, he plays Premier League football mm-hmm. every single week. Yep. And even if we look at him just as a left-back, Neil Taylor can't get in a championship team at the minute. He's been kept out of his position by 33-year-old Alan Hutton. I'm sorry, but if you can't get in that, in that team at left-back compared to someone who's playing Premier League football every week I, I can't see any reason why you wouldn't pick him are or you, at least give him a chance just as a question there are you assuming that you're on the basis of him being a left back are you assuming you're pulling Davies in, Ben Davies inside then a bit is that what I mean that, that wouldn't be my ideal no. plan mm-hmm. but if eventually that's what is going to happen then I think Dummett De Leaf deserves a shot at being in that role and I would like to see him at centre half. I think centre half is his best position. Um, he doesn't play there much for Newcastle, but I think centre half is his best position long term. And I think the uh, options elsewhere, which you are about to go through, I hope, because <laughs> I have not done my research and you have, mean that I'd be impressed if you can give me anyone who could play centre half who's playing in the Premier League every week who isn't James Chester or Ashley Williams. Or Ben Davis because he's already in the squad. Well, Chester's knocking on the door of the Premiership, isn't he? So, um, I think the diff- I mean, there's, in some respects, it's a mute point, isn't it? Because is he actually interested in playing for Wales? I think he is. We'll come back to that afterwards because only because so? of. Okay, fair enough. Do you want to edit that bit? <laughs> no, no, I know. I, I, I say that just because I think he was told to go away and get fit that was always my assumption of the situation mm-hmm. and for somehow some reason something changed yeah. um, people have sent us messages saying that Coleman went back on his word to him um, and it was Coleman who kind of told him to do that in the first place if that's if that's the case and he's gone back on his word then that's not his fault that, 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 that Dummett has been pulled out of that um, if it's not true and he's just decided that he doesn't want to represent Wales because he wasn't getting enough game time it wasn't worth it then I agree that does raise questions about his commitment however given the new structure we're in Mm -hmm. 
wiping the slate clean. I, 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 as I say, I'm all, I'm all ears if you can give me a viable alternative. Yeah, I think, I think obviously this is the this is the time, isn't it, for for someone to be reaching out and at least verifying what the situation is. You've got a new a new team, maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, in the back, and so. It's, it's definitely an opportunity to start a discussion. And we, sh as you say, we shouldn't have a premiership-level defender who's Wales-qualified, Wales-eligible, that we're not trying to keep the door open with. That's, ju that's just silly. You've got to open that line of conversation. Now, yeah. I think, like you said, the Wales-qualified there obviously mm -hmm. alluding to the fact that he's not born in Wales. Mm -hmm. We did get a few messages saying that, but I think if we start ruling people out all of a sudden because oh. they've not played in Wales... Wales don't beat Belgium. <laughs> All three goal scorers are English. I mean, that's that's half our team gone immediately. Is it? That's that's just short-sighted. Um, that's a non-starter. I think if you want to question his commitment, I think that's fair. Yes. I think question his Welshness is a bit. No, that's bit ridiculous. Much. I mean, we we're there's only three million of us. We've got to find every three million and a thousand of people who are qualified. Yeah. You know, that's that's stupid not to. And as we are about to speak. Uh, hear from Josh <laughs> we very much hope that Josh solves the problem maybe Josh can play right, right back and centre half and you know this becomes a, again a moot point well there isn't someone in the premiership that I can just throw down because obviously if there were we'd yes. be playing him wouldn't we I mean there's just like you know the answer to that he would be running out on the field as we speak um the, the reason I'm always been concerned about the defence is as you were saying earlier this perceived lack of a succession plan is what bothers me. I don't quite see what the next step is. Ampadu maybe. Maybe he's actually a defensive holding midfielder. Maybe is he is our next centre-half. But there's still a question there and clearly he's got to get more playing time regardless. I, th I think ultimately... You know, we're talking about a Premier League, Premier League level player who can fit in there. I, I know that Ethan Ampadu is that. Mm -hmm. He's a young lad, but he, he's a very, very good player. Yeah. Um, but uh, A, I don't think he's there yet. And B, personally for Wales, I would much prefer to see Joe Ledley replace as the holding midfielder. And he's capable. Yeah. You know, you can pass the ball, he's very mobile, he's very quick. Even if it's just a short-term thing, yeah. and then he replaces Ashley Williams yeah. in the he, end. He kind of grows into a central defender, which, you know, maturity, That's there's there's a kind of maturity of reading the game from that position and things, which you need a bit of time to get to as I well, think don't so. you? Yeah. So I, I do, t I, I take that argument. Yeah. Ampadu is obviously that one. The reason I say that is because I, I would replace Ledley with him. Mm -hmm. So the next one up, if there is one, seems to be Tom Lockyer. Um, he's only 23. Centre back at Bristol, who are knocking on the knocking on the door of the yeah, Premiership. True. Obviously, he's their captain, which I think says something for such a for such a young guy. Um, so the, he does seem to be the next up in that position in terms of how we've been calling him up, how we've been utilising him. Then, if you go just a few years younger, you've got Joe Rodden, who's part of the Swansea setup. It's interesting; he's actually just signed with Cheltenham. He's down there on loan with them at the minute. Um, he's captained Swans under 23s. He's only 20. So, you know, there's, he's got something about him. It's interesting, though, that the Swans haven't used him. That's what I was going to say. He might not be long for Swansea. You know, there's rumours of both Glasgow Celtic and Man City and people sniffing around and looking at his contract. So perhaps he's... You know, not much longer for them. And then, of course, there's Regan Pohl over at Manchester United. He's just signed with Northampton. 
there he's playing more in that defensive midfield holding position actually they're not playing him so much at centre back which is interesting he's only 19 so I think I think in the short term you're looking at Lockyer just because of the level of regular football he's getting at the top end of the championship further on it wouldn't surprise me if you're looking at a combination of um, Pole and Rodden and Ampadu some sort of three three between that holding midfielder yeah. and the back two ultimately I, th- I know that Lockyer is uh, a lot of people's choice uh, regards to succession I can see stealing your research here that he's 23 he's not playing Premier League football no but he might and be next year and might... Newcastle might not be well <laughs> We, we've had a conversation that I don't want to swear on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> so I won't say what I'm thinking right now but um, I take that equally what if they don't no I, I don't disagree I would, also, I, think I would also say that Dummer is experienced of playing Premier League football for at least four years mm-hmm. oh I, I, I don't disagree with you Dave I think, it's, I think it's criminal that somewhere along the line we've got a Premiership defender in a, a position where it, it's clearly the one position where we need the next match. From an, just from an age point of view, yeah. Ashley's probably the only one there who's not going to make the next World Cup or have a chance of making the next I would World be, Cup. I yeah? would be, I'd be worried if he does. Yeah, and so on that basis, we've we've got to have the next the next man up. Uh, the other thing I can understand up people's argument is his commitment, and you made a valid point about defenders being committed right okay so obviously James Collins is a question here somewhere along the lines he and Coleman had what might be euphemistically called a falling out but clearly they had a disagreement there was something went wrong to the point where Collins walked away now we welcomed him back with open arms didn't we 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 said okay here's a need Here's a player we want involved. Here's, you know, he was only 30 at the time. Here's, here's someone whose experience we can't afford to be without. Um, and so it was sorted out. Now, I think part of that might come down to the fact that they were both strong characters and, and were prepared to sit down and kind of hammer it out between them and were also mature and level-headed enough to do that and walk away and get on with it. But I do think... We've clearly had this situation where someone has walked away and we've accepted them back. So on that basis, we, sh- we shouldn't be dismissing Dummett because he said, look, I'm carrying too many injuries, I need a break, need a break. from this. So on that basis, I think it's a little hypocritical of us to sort of dismiss his involvement just because of what's happened over the last, say, 12 months. I, I, I mean, I understand, you know, people would argue that James Collins did a lot for Wales before this all came mm-hmm. about and I think that's a fair argument that is, yeah. but I think you know there is there could have been seen as a question over his commitment there he was allowed back in and I personally think the same should be allowed uh, same opportunity sorry should be given to, to Paul Dummett if he wants to be yeah. if he wants to be and if he still doesn't want to be involved I agree solid <laughs> but as we stand there's a big opportunity for someone to come in there point of the blog was to to put or pull down forward but also ultimately to raise the question of have we got a succession plan which concerns me mm-hmm. my other thing is sorry we've gone very off topic here <laughs> is our next plan is always to pull Pen- Ben Davis inside mm-hmm. and play him at centre half 
I don't like that. And I, I agree with you, I don't like that either. So We've got a world-class left, left back, left wing back there. Let's exploit that. Let's make that work. And I I think to not exploit that because someone's not willing to give, be it Dummett, Lockyer, whoever, a go at centre half, I think is naive. Mm -hmm. And again, talk about succession plan. I think having a bit of added depth can do us no harm. Um, And I think Dummett, to me, plugs a lot of gaps. Mm -hmm. Which is why, in conclusion, <laughs> I suggested him. Whilst we've been sat here recording this, we've had a collection of other messages come in uh, regarding a way, the way that a few of the Swansea players played tonight, uh, young Welsh lads. Uh, Connor Roberts, who's been playing right back, was apparently outstanding. We haven't seen it, obviously. Uh, and the centre forward, Dan James, who scored a goal uh, as part of that team setup. So I suppose it goes to show that whilst we're talking about Dummett, Lockyer and uh, Rodon and whoever else there's a selection of other people who are, who are coming through uh, and are actually maybe maybe not tonight but uh, eventually going to get their chance to play first team Premier League football in the case of Conor Roberts I know he's a right back uh, and when everyone is in love with Chris Gunter so we don't want to remove him from the situation but I suppose it shows there are a, a strong amount of players coming through I wanted to just think about a back four like a, as a unit going forward because um, obviously guys have been playing sort of under 16s under 17s together as well and there was a game against England what must have been maybe about 15 16 months ago now and I think it was the under 19s rather than the under 21s right. but you had um, a back four of Cox and um, De Silva um, and then Poole and Ampadu in the middle and you think if you could actually have if, if all of those four step up to premiership level play yeah. you've got an incredibly strong back four oh, there as well um, plus they beat England 3-2 so there's no harm in that no, no, nothing wrong with that uh, I think the, 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 the central defensive pair of Ampadu and Poole I think is is worth is worth noting that if they come through together, I do worry that Paul's development is kind of stunted. Mm-hmm. In that Ampadu is starting to play for Chelsea, and, Amp- uh, and Paul has gone out on loan to Northampton, yeah. like you said. I think that's a bit of a worry for me. But I, I agree. If, again, I suppose if if you took Dummer out of it, there is enough plenty of depth around the place. Mm-hmm. It's whether they get enough playing time at top level opposition. Yeah, Chris Meffham at uh, Brentford. We should remember mention as well because he got quite a lot of love on our, our Twitter did. feed he did um, so. um, I suppose he's playing championship football mm-hmm. um, but of that I would f- uh, much prefer what we said about Tom Lockyer who's captain in a, yep. a you know a, a, level a, a strong level team yep. at a young age I think maybe he shows shows a lot of signs of promise for me yeah I think we've cycled back so that he's he is probably the next option yeah. immediately isn't he so next up we have our interview with Josh Frankham uh, very interesting lad who's come uh, for an American family with Welsh parents to come, well, Welsh father to come and play football uh, for Atlanta United Academy. He's also been picked up by Wales through his Welsh links and uh, played for Wales in the Victory Shield uh, in their last outing. He's also recently been called up to feature in a tournament in Greece. So, congratulations, Josh, for that. The thing I found interesting about this story having listened to the Beth Fisher podcast with Oshan Roberts recently, was Oshan obviously has a a history in American football. 
and I think it's interesting that he's obviously aware of players who are from all over the world who can who can represent Wales. Yeah, I think obviously Dave and I are, are living as expats out here in the US, and it's it's always just lovely to connect with other Welsh families this side of the Atlantic, isn't it? So we've enjoyed Absolutely. connecting with Josh and his his family just on on that level. But I think it's interesting to get a perspective from someone who's you know effectively just dipping their toe into uh, what FA Wales is, what together stronger means from a player's point of view, um, and and just the road that he's travelling is quite interesting. Atlanta United itself is a really interesting story. They've only actually been playing professional uh, football in the MLS for well one season. They're, they're in their hiatus between their first and their second season at the moment. But but their engagement with the community and what and what they're doing down in Atlanta is also really interesting as well. Absolutely. Josh mentions the big uh, the big attendances they've had. Um, and as you say, I think on a wider net, on a wider basis, it shows a lot of positives uh, for Welsh football. As we say, you know, we're not claiming he's going to be the next the next Chris Gunter necessarily, <laughs> but he does have a lot of admirers. People I've spoken to on Twitter have complimented his performances in the in the Victory Shield they saw. There's a few people online who you said Bryn Law, for example, commented on his performance against Gibraltar. Mm-hmm. The fact that it was even in a remit, like Gus Williams came out to see Josh play in a tournament in Mexico last summer, and that's that was the main connection. The fact that we are in a position where we can actually send scouts on those sorts of missions and, and be looking that, that's, that says a lot for where we are in, t- in terms of our capacity to really ensure that we like turn over every rock, every stone that no, might, that might be so. fruitful for us. We also have a selection of clips and videos uh, that Josh's dad has put together, uh, which you can find on our blog. They show him as an, uh, an attacking right back. Uh, very quick, got a very good engine, it seems, gets up and down a lot. Uh, he talks himself about needing to improve his final ball. Um, and you can see in the videos that it's evident that he has a good final ball, but you know maybe he does need to uh, keep working on that. But uh, it's a very interesting story. He's got good links with Welsh football. He's very obviously passionate about playing for Wales and very passionate about just playing football in general, as well as being a very well-spoken, very polite kid to speak to. Um, so we hope you enjoy his interview. sat chatting with Josh Frankham who plays for Atlanta United and also Wales under 16s um, thanks for joining us Josh um, no, good to be here thank you very much um, if you could just give us a bit of background about how you got into football and uh, what you love about football uh, I've been playing since I was very young my dad played in Wales for a while and came over to play at William and Mary here uh, my uncle was an apprentice at Crystal Palace as well as Cardiff and it's something I like love doing every day. It's been like instilled in me since I was very little. And like neither of my brothers are as like into it as I am. But it's like it gives me like a way. It's like a way to like get away from all my schoolwork as well as like improve at something that I've always loved doing. That's amazing. Um, when you say your dad played for played football, who did he play for? Uh, he played for schoolboys in Wales. Oh nice. And then he over here, and then he earned one cap for 
the Welsh under 15s, under 16s, I think. I'm not really sure. Oh, Played with Chris Coleman. And then he came over here when he was 18 to play college. That's really cool. And this has been home for him ever since then, Josh. Yeah, it has been. Yeah. And you've still got grandparents back in, in Wales, is that right? Yeah, I have uh, three of my uncles as well as both my grandparents live over in Wales still. Um, have you ever watched Wales play live? Uh, in person or on the TV? In person. Uh, never in person. It's always something I've wanted to like be a part of, like the Red Wall. Absolutely. And, like, go to an away away games. I'd love to. I'd love to go to a Wales away game. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's uh, very much a unique experience. I think <laughs> is the best way to describe it. Um, did you enjoy watching Wales in Euro 2016, or is that a stupid question? No, it was the best. Like not a stupid question at all. It was like one of the best moments I've ever had watching the game. It was like. Especially when they beat Belgium and like all of that, it was mental. I remember it like I remember it more well than any other game I've ever watched. It was awesome. The Belgium game. Yeah. Where did you watch it? I was in my grandparents' room. I go to a summer camp every summer in North Georgia, and there are no TVs. And I was like, I have to be able to watch the Euros. <laughs> like, and my grandparents found a way to get a TV in their room, and so I'd go every time Wales played. And I was in there with my brother and my grandparent who knew nothing really about like the Euros or anything like that. We all watched. I remember it. And it was an incredible day, wasn't it? Yeah, it we, was. we, we are sat in my front room where we watched that game. Mm-hmm. And uh, a combination of uh, obviously the win, lots lots to drink and Ruth sobbing <laughs> non-stop at the end means it was a, uh, it was a very, uh, very unique experience. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about your your path in in football um if you can talk about a little bit about the the environment you played in in georgia and how you've ended up with um atlanta's academy well i started off playing uh, at an academy called north atlanta soccer association it was like the largest pay-to-play academy in atlanta because there was no mls academy and there was no like environment where you can play under like a professional like professional coaching and see like the first team in that so I played for them from under nines to under fourteens. Then at the under fourteen level, I merged. I went to a alliance club in a sense. It's like a bunch of clubs merged together. Right. And we played and beat Atlanta United two out of three times. And then they decided to bring me in this year. I'm now playing for the under seventeen at Atlanta United. That's amazing. Right. And then the connection with Wales. I understand you were spotted by Gus Williams at a, a tournament in Mexico. Is that right? Yeah, when we were when I was still at Georgia United, we contacted them, like letting them know I was Welsh, and like I wasn't really at a pro academy, so nothing had really materialized. And when I moved to Atlanta United, it like really gave me the opportunity to go and like be scouted by Gus Williams, and then they brought me in for the Gibraltar camp, and like that's just how it began. It wasn't really like planned to materialize until I moved to Atlanta United, and they saw me play in Mexico. Okay. So it sounded like you made the first move, and then Gus picked up on that. Is that right? Uh, it was never. It was never really like something we thought would happen. Mm-hmm. Like I never achieved much in a sense. Like I always played in like this little metro Atlanta area, and then I moved to Atlanta United, and then everything kind of took off. And then the the club director Tony and then he moved me to a right back, mm-hmm. and like I used to be a six, like a holding midfielder, and he yeah. moved me to a right back. And then Wales saw me there and said, we want you to come play right back for us. And did you play right back when you went to play for Wales in Gibraltar and in the, the tournament? Uh, yes, I did. I played right back both games. Or all the games I played and I played right back. 
because we've seen a few videos of you uh, from the Atlanta like the United thing, obviously scoring goals. Were those from right back or from from midfield? I last year I only scored four goals, and three of them were in one game. <laughs> that, was, that was before I was under Tony, so I was still a midfielder at that time. Right. If you could talk a little bit about your experiences when you went across for the Gibraltar squad and the Victory Shield games, Josh, and, and what it was like being part of those camps. Well, it was just like a really new experience for me, like learning new tactics and like playing under new coaches. It was like, I've never really had a chance to play a different style of play. And over here, it's like more east to west and over there, it's north to south in a sense. But they both clubs encourage, or both teams encourage me to keep the ball and like build out the back. So like, and all meeting all the boys is really cool. And just like having a chance, like being the only American was also really interesting because yeah, they always ask me how it was over here and like how my club was and being able to tell them all about that. And like for them to see that it's like a serious thing in America now was really cool. Just out of interest, you talked about that playing east to west and north to south. Is that more... The east to west is like moving teams from side to side, I guess. And the north to south, is that more direct or more trying to play through the middle, pass through teams? Trying to play through the middle in a sense. less Not as direct, but like more trying to build through the midfield before you go wide. Right, okay. More aggressive. That's interesting. And that was the the more direct approach was with Wales, was it? Yes. And when, you play with it, when we play with Atlanta United, it's focused on building through the right backs and then coming through midfield it's all about trying to getting get in wide positions and create chances with Wales it's trying to find the feet of the striker like move the ball move the ball like through the midfield quicker and with more efficiency in a sense when they talk to you about that is that do they have like is that like a classroom session sort of thing or is that kind of done through the training it's a bit of both when we like when we go into scouting meetings and scouting reports we they like explained us how they want us to play or how they want us to set up in a game. Like for the last game against Northern Ireland, we knew they played five at the back, so we had to change our tactics to play against that. Yeah. And then and then in training sessions it's obviously drilled into us based on like pattern of play. Like all the pattern of play things we do. I'm fascinated by this way. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean it sounds like that Welsh way is obviously it's it's percolating right across the age groups Josh so how is that introduced to someone when they first in your case joined the squad well I joined the squad really late I was in the last camp before the victory shield so I didn't think I'd get into the victory shield squad to be honest with you but when we we did a presentation one time when we were preparing for one of the games talking about how to play the Welsh way and they showed us how it relates from the first team and like things that the first team had done in an actual game and they show us how it relates to our game and like show similarities and they ask us what could be done in this scenario to improve it or what can be done to like fix the mistakes that the first team has made and that was like a big thing they tried to instill in us that's really interesting that's great so i mean you were allowed you were sort of encouraged to critique what the more senior players were doing and build from that they were showing us like a shape when Ashley Williams unfortunately like made the mistake that cost Wales the World Cup qualifier, they were like, it's a, obviously a very painful moment to watch, but you can learn from it. And so yeah. they sat us down and they had us go through everything that they could have done in that moment to avoid what had happened. And that that's just like something that we do like with with our coaches and Oshin like tries to show us how to play instead of like instead of critiquing the first team, he shows us how we can improve on it in a sense. So what they're that- trying to do. Does that mean you, you've met up with them quite recently then? 
the last time we met up with the squad was the Victory Shield, but oh, right. that that's when they were like showing us how to play the Welsh way in a sense. I find it interesting that they they embrace that mistake as a as a teaching tool. Yeah. I think that that's that's actually quite impressive to kind of take ownership of that um, and and be willing to share it with the, the younger groups. That speaks well of of the sort of maturity then the trust that they have in you guys as well even as the young you know the younger tier of course the, the interesting thing there for me is as well is the not only the willingness to play the Welsh way but there's straight away a link with a senior squad for you there you're not just analysing tactics and ways team play of your age group there's a there's like a long term progression or goal there isn't there, there of you know when you get there this is what you shouldn't do sort of thing I think that's really interesting could you talk a little bit more about some of those coaching sessions you had either part of the Gibraltar squad or or in Northern Ireland then Josh what would be a sort of typical day for you guys uh on a non-match day we'd wake up have our breakfast (laughs) and then we'd have a little bit of a like a break to go back to our rooms they give us our gear for the day and we'd go and train do about an hour and a half session we'd do pattern of pattern of play and like where to be when the ball's here we wouldn't do much about like pressing because we didn't really we didn't have like a set press, but we would have. It was all about pattern of play and how to build out the back. Afterwards, we have lunch and then education, and then just free time for the rest of the day, really. And on a match day, what is your routine on there? I'm fascinated by this. <laughs> this is. I was never good enough, Josh. Not even close. <laughs> I haven't scored for my seventh side team for about six months. So, so I'm fascinated by all this, me. Uh, my personal, my personal routine. Yeah. Well, I. I'll try to wake up as early as like I can to make sure I'm showered because I always have to shower before like games and everything and get ready. Uh, I'll go and have breakfast. We'll go to the tactics room and have our meeting. And if I'm in the starting eleven, which I was for the the last two th- two games of the Victory Shield, yeah, I go back to the room. I get on like my track my track top and then all that stuff. And I don't say a word to anyone from the start of the bus ride till as soon as we get in the locker room because I have my headphones on the whole time, and I just listen to that. And as soon as I get, and then we go and we go out there, and then I go through my little routine. I like I have to do like four four like seventy five percent pace jogs back and forth, <laughs> like uh, the width of the pitch at least four times to get like ready before we start going into our set warm up. Then we go into the game and all that. Is that like a what's the word? What do I mean? Like a superstition? Superstition. Yeah, I think I, I have to run at least four times back and forth. And, and is the not, is, is the silence thing on the trip a superstition as well? Yeah, I don't really I don't speak to anyone if we're on the bus. I don't speak to anyone. I have to be listening to my music and in my own little zone. See, I really like that. I have, I have the same pair of socks that I've worn underneath my football socks for for years and they're disgusting there's holes in them and everything and I bought I got these laces um, sorry, you are going to edit this out aren't you? I'm not sure I am I can't like it I got, I got these laces um, given to me like the rainbow laces and the yep. first time I wore them on my boots I scored five goals in one game <laughs> and so as a consequence they're still on my boots now but they're not really doing me any uh, good any favours at the minute anyway yeah, like, um, yeah, everyone has their own little superstitions and stuff. I've never everyone like likes to double sock or something like that. I just I've like never tried to do anything like stupid like that. I just put on two pairs of socks and I go out there and play. Well, there you see. I have to keep it in now because he's just called me stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
I wanted to ask a little bit about the, the obviously you were working with Oshon Roberts with the under 16s and a little bit about that because he clearly understands what's happening with soccer in the US and that you know that might be part of them reaching out with you did you did the two of you explore that at all um I spoke to Oshon a little bit about it but not too much like he knew he didn't feel that me being from the States meant I was any lesser of a player than anyone else or I was any less Welsh, which like meant a lot to me because I was, I want people to feel like just because like in the United States, it's taken a while to become a bit bigger. It's like, it's, it's very, it's like a big thing now. And like you have players like Josh Sargent and like Weston McKinney going to play in Germany for top clubs. And like, a, like you have all these players in the English second division and, like it's just it's not as well known, but like I think sooner or later it'll become it'll come to like fruition, and like you have top youth players and top players playing overseas. Yeah, I, I mean, I think since I moved here, the thing that struck me is just the volume of kids playing the game is incredible, actually. And I think yeah. um, it's just a matter of time, I feel, before it really explodes over here. And a lot of like the boys over there, like they don't really realize like how big it is. Like they're like when I they're like telling me how when they watch an MLS game, it doesn't look like real football, but like. <laughs> In a sense, like we, it's just beginning. It's like it's like twenty years old, and like you have these clubs over there that are like hundred a hundred years old, and yeah. you have a league that's like brand new. So it's not going to always look perfect, but it's getting there. I think. Do you follow the U.S. men's national team? In, in a sense, I do. I mean, I obviously wish for them to like. I want them to do well, and I want them to like go to the World Cup. Unfortunately, they didn't. But yeah. I I follow both Wales and U.S. to like the same extent. Have just have you been approached by US soccer to, to to play for them in any capacity? It's a bit it's a bit like murky there. Like we don't really know what's going on. But I I'm just trying to play. I just want to play football. That's it. That's all I care about. That was a very good political answer. <laughs> going back to what you were saying, Josh. Actually, like there was an interesting article I was reading from um, Christian Polisic about how he moved to Dortmund as a 16 year old and felt that that had really made a difference being part of a European setup. Um, is that something you would consider or are you, do you uh, want to build your role here in the US? I want to build my role at the club. Like that's, it's, it's something I've always dreamed of having like a hometown team to kind of play for and like have all my friends be able to realize like what I've able to, been able to accomplish and have friends and family and all that come to my game. So I'm right now looking to like build on everything that's going on here in Atlanta and that's what I want to do going forward as of now. So we should explain actually to the listeners that Atlanta United is, they've been around a, a year really, haven't they, in terms of playing. Obviously the process yeah. is longer than that. And they've had an incredible impact on, on MLS. Can you talk a little bit about what that's like for the city? Because I, I think, you, you know, you look at some of those crowds and the, that wonderful new stadium that they're in. Yeah. Um, and that must be having an impact. Yes. Yeah, when I was speaking to someone the other day and they were saying how... Um, it's bringing everyone together in a sense. You like look like people who have never really cared about watching like football or like doing anything that has to like relate to football and they're all paying attention and they're all like coming to 75,000 people coming together for one game. And it's, there's not an empty seat there. It's incredible. And like the Academy has been something that's like given like so many talented players an opportunity to like reach the next level in a sense. It's still an opportunity. Like I'm really grateful to have. Have you played at the stadium? No, I did. I actually missed the chance to play in the stadium because I was still an under sixteen player. Oh really? 
now I'm an under-17, so if I had been at that point, I would have been able to play, but I wasn't. Um, so. I'm confident it's going to happen, mate. I'm confident. <laughs> Hopefully. What's the situ- the arrangement sort of between Tony and Nan and the, and the senior part of Atlanta United and, and the academy? How is, how is that bridged, Josh? Well, when, when you sometimes the first team players are in the gym or anything like that, you can always see that they know Tony and they have a good relationship together. And Tony Tony's always going to try and like push his players to try and become the best that they can. But he's he's not gonna he's not gonna hand feed you. He's always he's very like strong mentally and like he just he's always gonna find a way to push you and make you a better player. I'm fascinated uh, by the link that the FAW must have with Atlanta as well, because they they must be in kind of fairly regular dialogue with each other about you being able to play for them. Like, do you hear anything about that, or is that kind of all arranged for you? I think it's really all arranged for me. I don't really know what goes on, so I just go out there and I play. That's all I care about. <laughs> and if if they say if they say like if it conf- if a game conflicts with Wales that it does here, like they always find a way to sort it out. So I'm really grateful for that. Do you know the next time you're going to be linking up with Wales? Well, supposedly we're going to have a UEFA tournament at the end of February in Greece, but we're not really sure about that. Right. Okay. We know that the Euros, like the Euro group that we've been drawn into, has come out, and that's in November. Mm-hmm. And so there could be camps in between in the summer. We're not all sure yet. And are you going to be part of the the Euro qualifiers? That's the goal. I'm not. Nothing's guaranteed, but that's yeah. like the goal. Because that's a step up to under seventeens, is it, Josh? Yes, yeah. it's, the, it's the first step up to under seventeens and like World Cup qualifying. And our qualifiers for the Euros are in Portugal, and we play Portugal. Kazakhstan and one more team I forget I'm not really sure Belarus uh, Belarus. (laughs) we'll edit that bit out mate don't worry (laughs) Josh if Atlanta United wasn't there with the academy what would have been your next step would it have meant moving away from the city I'm not really sure because I don't know how good I could have been or like I couldn't really have seen myself my dad always tells me it's like it's so strange to think that you've played internationally and you're an international footballer (laughs) I really don't know what my next step would have been I don't think I would have had the goals I have now if it wasn't for Atlanta United what are the goals you have now I just I want to be a first team player I like that's that's all I'm really looking look I want to play in college and get an education of course but I want to I want to be on a contract and that's that's the goal I want to strive to be achieving i want to be able to be better than the person that's ahead of me and whether they're a 17 whether they're a 19 or whether they're a pro i just want to be able to reach that next step that's really interesting you know i, I heard i saw an interview with steven gerrard uh on twitter i think it was uh, a month or so ago and he basically said the exact same thing that every day he went into training and that was his thing he just wanted to be you beat the guy who's ahead of you you beat the guy who's ahead of you don't worry about the long term don't worry about what's coming next beat the guy ahead of you beat the guy ahead of you it's really interesting I'm like that you have the same mentality as that he said that in his autobiography too Stevie G that's my like that's my idol that's what I like aspire to be and like I've all, oh, really? I've read all yeah I've read all of his books and stuff like that he said that in his autobiography how like after he was declined for the England under like under 16 national team that was his like thing he wanted to be better than the next player that was his, like it didn't matter how small he was it didn't matter what they said he just he felt he was good enough and he was going to prove it what does that mean that liverpool are your team so to speak in the uk yeah anytime they're on i'll find a way to watch two two thirty tomorrow away at swansea yes yes absolutely nah. being welsh obviously does that hold any conflict for you <laughs> <laughs> 
I'd support Cardiff before I support Swansea. Correct answer. Well done. Well done. Um, this is a sort of technical question, I suppose, but with you going off to college and sports over here usually operating out of a draft system, Josh, where does that leave Atlanta? Do you actually do you end up staying within their system even if you go to college? I don't think so. Right. But we have a player. I'm not really sure what he's doing right now, but he didn't go to college, and he's still within the Atlanta United system, possibly going to be on a contract soon. So I have that option. I could stay with Atlanta United instead of going to college, or I can go to college and go to MLS through the draft with no guarantee of where I'm going to be playing. So, so it's interesting that Atlanta have an academy and are developing players who ultimately might not actually become part of the Atlanta setup. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's just they, they're trying to find their best players and see who wants to be on their first team. There was a thing from the uh, technical director of the Seattle Sounders Academy said how at the age of 19 is when you can really start to tell who cares about playing and who would rather be out with friends and who wants mm-hmm. to be going to college and that. So. Interesting. It's interesting that they're... they're in, I mean, I suppose it makes sense from a community point of view, but I think it's great that they're investing in such a good academy when actually they might not actually get the fruits of that. Yeah, I mean, they've already developed a couple of really talented players. I mean, they have they had three three players, I think, in the under-17 World Cup squad and then two players in the Honduran World Cup squad. So it's like they're, they are producing a lot of players. They're going to have one in the Welsh World Cup squad soon, I hope. <laughs> um, just moving back to Wales briefly, um, what is your opinion on Ryan Giggs getting the, the, the manager's job for Wales? And like, did you ever see him play? What is your opinion on, on, on him in general? Well, obviously he's a like fantastic player. Like, like I, I was didn't have the chance to see him play for Man United. Like, I was obviously too young. But all the like I've seen all the appearances. I've seen all the highlights. It's I just really hope that everyone can get behind gigs and like really support him and give him like a boost to become like the manager that we all hope he can be and the manager that Chris Coleman was for Wales. So I just want to see us get back to the Euros and see us succeed. And that's kind of the future I hope is going to be in store for us absolutely absolutely we're, we're, our big talking point here is whether Oshan Roberts is going to be part of the uh, the setup. Like, uh, do you have any insider information for us none at all <laughs> <laughs> useless to me Josh useless <laughs> um, you've obviously said you've had a few interactions with him what kind of strikes you most about him a lot of people talk about how good he is tactically and stuff is that something that resonates with you yeah, he's also just a very genuine guy. Like he, he like you can see that he cares about his players, and you can see how like he he inst- like he instills a confidence in you. Even he always when you're if you're on his sideline as a right back, I'm always up against the touchline. So yeah. he's always helping me and saying if if I need to find a spare man, he's always saying Josh, find the spare man. Austin will kind of encourage you to make a mistake, but only in the final thirty. You'd hate it if you made a mistake in the back four. Yeah. But he always encourages you to learn from your mistakes in a sense. And improve on them. Have you have any interaction with any of the first team? Is that is, is that something that's happened yet? Uh, the 15s had a chance to go and see the first team play, and they met all the players. Uh, when I was in Gibraltar, I met Chris Coleman, and he gave a speech before the game, and it was oh, really like inspiring. And he told us, and he, I don't remember exactly what he told us, but I remember it was about like how you have to be, how you have to be one as a team, and you have to come together, and you have to play. And and you have to play for each other and everything like that. And it was really inspiring to have Chris Coleman give a talk right before one of our games, even if it was against Gibraltar. (laughs) 
do you miss? Do you think Wales are going to miss his uh, his skills? Because I hear apparently he is a very good speaker and he's very good motivational. Do you think that's something Wales are going to miss? I'm not sure because I, I hope Ryan Giggs can bring that to the first team, and I I obviously think everyone's going to miss Chris Coleman because of what he was able to accomplish. But like like I said, I just think is if we can get behind Giggs and really like take a new step and like go keep moving forward because we have incredible new players coming into the first team like Ethan Ampadu and uh, Ben Woodburn and Ravi Matondo and you have all these players coming into the Welsh first team really can make an impact and I hope we can move forward from there Do you think Giggs is someone who's going to give youth a chance? I don't know <laughs> hopefully <laughs> um, Who is your like footballing hero in the, in, in the Welsh setup? Not necessarily now but like ever I'd have to say be Aaron Ramsey or someone like that I don't know he was in the Euros, like I thought he was the most underrated player when he when he wasn't in the game for the Portugal, Portugal and you could see how like much of a difference he made. And even though he does play for Arsenal and all of that, like, I still think he's just like a, he's just a class act. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think he's uh, the way he can like you were talking about that moving between the lines earlier. I think the way he does that for Wales is something that no one else can do, and you can show how much we missed him in that Portugal game. And um, I think the same as Joe Allen a little bit as well. He's has that sort of. Yeah. That effect where he can kind of float in between the lines. He scored yesterday. Uh, he did score. Uh, no, but he, <laughs> he's someone who I, as a, I'm a Newcastle fan, so I'm desperate for him to leave Stoke, really, and preferably come to Newcastle United, um, which is very unlikely. But I think he's, I think he's a superb player as well. Those two are a great kind of midfield partnership. Um, we should take some beating, I think. Yep. And Gareth's back scoring. Yeah, have you seen Gareth's goals today, Gareth Bale? He's, he, uh, they, I saw they won seven one against Deportivo. Yeah. yeah, and he scored two. He scored a brace the other week, didn't he? Yeah, in a two two draw. Yeah, yeah. The, so. one, the, one of the goals in particular. I don't know if you've seen the it. The first one. Yeah, was an absolute beauty. Yeah. One of our final questions, obviously, you know, USA or Wales in the future, if that ever came down to it. I just want to play. Honestly, I really. That's not like a political thing. I just want to be playing. So whoever. They give me an opportunity. If I just want to go play, it doesn't matter to me. What's the What's the key thing you think that you need to work on as a as a relatively new right back? That's a That's a lot to think about because <laughs> I have a lot. I have a lot that I need to improve on. I th- I would think I would think knowing when to go forward and when to stay back, and probably my crossing or getting the wrong side of my man too. I do that sometimes as a right back. <laughs> Is there is there someone you watch that you think you kind of want to persuade? Like you keep an eye on in that role, Kyle Walker. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I watch him in a system where he's always inside the opponent's half, and I want to be able to be like that in a sense, to be able to go forward, figure out the right times when to defend and when to go forward. He's got a knack I've noticed of making a really clever like outside to inside run. He, or when he if if he overlaps, he always ends up doing the inside of his defender which really seems to throw them off. He has a great knack at that, I think. Well, thank you very much for chatting to us. Of course, thank you. So there you go. There was our interview with Josh Frankham. Uh, I think you can agree, a very interesting, articulate, well-spoken, polite boy. Yeah. I found it really interesting the way he spoke about the the tactical stuff and obviously the depth they go into at, at such a young age. Um I wonder what, what the timeline is on that, about when that has actually started to be introduced to Welsh football and whether before it was just like, let's hope we can go and win today. Whereas now that whole thing is actually like you can, there's genuine uh, 
shoots of that starting to evolve across all our age groups, which I think is absolutely brilliant and really interesting. Yeah, and that connectivity that he was talking about in terms of... Well, one, he's they've, he's been working with Oshan Roberts, so, I mean, there's a very clear connection with the first team. Um, but, you know, that was just manifesting the way they were approaching things, the way things were organised, the messages that they're getting even at the under-16 level. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I also think it was very interesting that he has a very kind of sensible and grounded approach to his career, um, even at such a young age. Um, He obviously knows where he wants to go, knows what he wants to do and what he wants to achieve. And uh, if he he plays as well as he talks, I think he's going to be fine. Well, we hope you enjoyed our podcast. Please keep in touch with us. Send us questions, comments, funny stories about Welsh footballers. Uh, we have several ways that you can be in touch. Uh, they are Coleman had a dream at Outlook.com, on Twitter at Coleman's underscore dream, or Facebook, which is Facebook forward slash Coleman had a dream. Please also keep an eye on our blog for regular updates, blogs, comments, and that is Coleman's dream.wordpress.com. Thank you very much for listening.